I used to sit in the preschool in tears. All the man really has to do on the day of birth is find a good parking spot. <laughs> Dad, Dad, catch this. Boom, I've done a poo. Stop stabbing your sister. From the news desk to the nursery. Mum! This is The Parent Panel with Siobhan Hunt. Every episode of The Parent Panel, we invite one mum and one dad onto the show to give their wise and experienced opinion on parenting life. We tackle the big issues sometimes and sometimes the small finicky issues that are basically part of being a parent to small humans. Today, my guests are Clementine Ford, writer and author. Her latest book to be released at the end of this month is called Boys Will Be Boys and comedian and TV producer Julian Morrow. Clem's son just turned two and Julian has a five five-year-old son and a daughter who's turning nine next week. Welcome to you both. Good to be here. Yeah, it's great to be here. So how has your week been? How have the kids been collectively? Clem, how's your little one going? Oh, he's just so precious right now. <laughs> you know, I, I love that you say that about a two-year-old. Oh, I, you know... Either we haven't had the proper two-year-old tantrums hit yet. In fact, I keep hearing from all of my friends that three is the worst age. And okay. then they say, no, not, not three, four. Four <laughs> is the worst age. It'll come. So I know that I know that it's it's yet to properly hit me, but he's just at that beautiful stage where he is, you know, he's learning new words every day, and he and he says them incorrectly, which is gorgeous. Um, I was counting the freckles on his cheeks the other day and saying to him, "Oh, you've got new freckles," and he started calling them devils. <laughs> so I just love it. I just think it's so precious and beautiful. If you can write those names down, because yeah. sometimes you forget what the wo- yeah. what the words were they used. That's beautiful, Julian. Your kids are a little bit older. They're both yep. at school now, right? They are, yes. Yeah, yeah. And we're dealing with that. Um, Anna, um, who's about to turn uh, nine, is deep in the excitement of the Harry Potter novels. So she's <gasps> she's ploughing through them so at an great. amazing rate. Awesome. So we have quite long, very long conversations about Harry Potter-related things, which is a weird experience. I think it must be like being in another country because I kind of understand about half of the things that she's saying. I, like I get the I get like the the verbs in the sentences, but not a lot of the nouns. But it's delightful and it's just fantastic to see her just so loving it. Um, it's really great as well to know that um, like those stories do endure and yeah. pass down through the next generations. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, yeah, so, so that's great. And um, and Eddie's going really well. He's in year one, and so we're at that lovely age of reading's really clicking for him now, and so it's something that he enjoys, and, it's, and I just love seeing his mind work as he works out the words and stuff like that and seeing him progress and get, get confidence and, and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, no, we're going pretty well. We're both Can't going complain. well. Okay, well, today we're going to be talking about the petty crimes our families commit every day, <laughs> mental health and dads, and how parenting has or maybe hasn't changed you. But first up, the most ridiculous parenting product you've ever seen. Brennan, do you want this? Buy this. What is it? It's a thing. Is it? Yes. What does it do? It's very in. You don't know what it is, do you? Wow. What's that for? Well, that was completely useless. This week, Goop settled a lawsuit over the supposed benefit of jade eggs. Now, if you haven't heard of the Goop eggs, they're basically jade or quartz stones shaped like eggs that women are advised to insert inside themselves. By doing this, according to Goop, you can balance hormones, regulate periods and increase sexual pleasure. Unsurprisingly, Mm -hmm. it was found that there was no scientific evidence to support these claims. 
Parenting, I think, is an area where we can be sold just about anything to get our babies to sleep, for starters, when they're small, and then later on for them to behave or keep them in their seats or something like that. And I'm wondering what's the most ridiculous goop-like product doesn't have to be a feminine product uh, that you've seen for parents, Clementine. Uh, oh, I just—you just took me right back to those hazy newborn days where I spent a ridiculous, obscene amount of money on various, <laughs> you know, implements that promised to help my baby sleep. None of them worked, of course. Um, I don't know. It's it's hard to sort of think of the one that's the most ridiculous. Like I think that. Wet wipe warmers is a t- completely <laughs> ridiculous. That's, like it's just I've been watching this terrible reality TV show on um, streaming. You know uh, the Yummy Mummies one. Oh, and just the ridiculous things that some of those women buy their children that they don't need, like designer labels and um, are nothing but the best for my child. And it's just all stuff, isn't it? It's and they grow out of it very yeah. quickly. And you kind of like, I understand now why parents say, parents of number two say, oh, I bought all this stuff for number one. And then for number two, we basically just put them in a box to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Gillian, I I know that you've got particular area of expertise in this with the checkout. Well, this is the thing. Yeah. Ironically, my, uh, my knowledge in this area is less related to parenting than my day job of actually running a segment which Kate Brown from Choice did on the checkout for many years called As a Guilty Mum, where essentially we would trawl for ridiculous products. But that has given me uh, quite a long list of of ridiculous products, but also uh, I'll go into this in a sec, a slightly um, uh, different view about what, how ridiculous some products are. Um, Because it's one of the things at the checkout that all the products that we have in the office that we, um, you know, criticize or make fun of we tend to use as well <laughs> inadvertently um and uh so the, the one that stands out from as a guilty mum was a sort of toy themed portable toilet um which looked very much like an esky so i remember i just remember we called it a poo esky uh that you, i just don't know that you really do want to uh carry that around that stuff and carry it around although of course we all know that you know you end up doing it one time or another so <laughs> yeah. and of course that's the time where you just wish you had a poo esky so um that's and i did have an experience like that with um not so much uh, a parenting product, but Zoe Norton Lodge in the last series of the checkout did a, um, a segment called what to reject when you're expecting about pregnancy products. And there's a whole lot of ridiculous, uh, stuff there. Although we always try to say, you know, if it works for you, then think about how much you're paying for it is probably the main point rather than just don't ever do any of this stuff. Cause you know, um, no, there's nothing illegal about a psychological crutch, but um, she, we made fun of some vomit bags, some designer vomit bags, um, which were advertised as being chic for if you had morning sickness. And we sort of thought it was pretty hard oh, for God. a vomit bag to be chic. <laughs> like you're kind of not just not in the chic zone. Just, when, no. just remembering the time when I was on my way to speak at a school and it's like 8.30 in the morning and I'm cra- it's a, the corner of a very busy road in Melbourne and I'm crouched down behind a tree vomiting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lisa and I have sort of various points around Sydney, which are known vomit spots that we, we, oh, no. when we drive past, we go, oh, that's where mummy vomited. Um, but yeah, so we mocked these vomit bags. And then my son uh, last year broke his arm in the playground. And so he had to go in the hospital. He had to have surgery. Um, and when he came out from um, the general anaesthetic, uh, 
it's quite common to to be sick, and they whipped out this. What was a vomit, vomit bag. bag? It wasn't the chic version. It was the really bland version. Yes. And I saw the way they did it. And obviously in hospitals, you probably do. You want a good vomit bag in a hospital. And all of a sudden I thought, oh, that product that we mocked, I see exactly A, how it's useful and probably where it's come from as well. It's probably been mass produced for hospitals and then turned into a consumerist product that you can charge a ridiculous amount for. So I am now not ashamed to admit that we do have vomit bags in our house. Are they they're the designer? They're, they're not very chic. You know, they are. They just stole some from the hospital. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. As, as in the great <laughs> tradition of, yeah, it's, it's a public hospital. So yeah, this is basically mine. My, my yeah. taxpayers paid for That's this. That's right. Exactly. But there yeah. are things in hospitals like vomit bags that are very hard to find in other places. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. And are we but encouraging it, people to pilfer from the Yeah. Don't, don't, don't steal from hospitals. But I suppose that was the, overall, I'd say that was one of the lessons of the checkout that it. The product itself may, is probably ridiculous because of the branding, because of the way they try and sell it, because they overclaim. Like, I don't know what goop eggs can do, but I'm pretty sure that what was on the list of, you know, positive effects, it's not going to do no, that. It just sounded so, wrong on so many levels. That's right, exactly. <laughs> but it did sound very goop. Yes. <laughs> Why call that product goop as I well? Know, I mean, I know. I, just, goop, I never understood the branding around that goop. Yeah. Is that what, is it though the nickname for Gwyneth Paltrow? I guess so. Like, it's got Even to do with her name. <laughs> Um, Why call that product yeah. that? <laughs> good, good point. I think we need to move on. Uh, you are listening to the parent panel and our guests today are writer and author Clementine Ford and comedian and TV producer Julian Morrow. In just a minute, we're going to be talking about towels on the floor, empty milk bottles in the fridge. What are the petty crimes your family commits every day? I've been leaving the, the toilet seats up. Messy is fun, okay? That dog peed on everything. Just so you know, we need toilet paper. We are going to get together and act like a normal family. But I already did something today. This week, writer Susie Catchpole wrote about the petty crimes of parenting life. The towels that are never put up properly to dry. The to toilet roll that's never changed. Sharing your home with tiny humans, and possibly a big one too, can be a relentless run of small domestic assaults. What are the petty crimes that your family inflict on you that make you go a little bit nutty, Julian? <laughs> Look, uh, they're, they're maybe not petty crimes, but I, I kind of feel like parenting is a good antidote to my anal retentiveness. Because like I, <laughs> I kind of do like things to be neat sometimes. And I remember actually years ago. When the baby comes, they'll just adapt to our life. That's right, exactly. <laughs> they, yeah, they, they will like this pristine modernism as much as I do. Um, yeah, I remember when um, my chaser colleague, Craig Rucastle, he had kids very early or much earlier than, than the rest of us. I think it had a contraceptive effect actually on the rest of the chaser team. Um, but I would look at his car when he had young kids and just think, oh my God. I mean, how Animal. could anyone do that. And then, of course, one day I look back and it's like, oh, that's my car now. Um, so, so look, I mean, I suppose it's all those, I, I feel myself wanting to just tight, you know, neaten things up and, and do all those sorts of things. And, and I just, I can't in the family now. And, the, and let actually, it go. I mean, I'm a victim of petty crime more than a, more than a, a perpetrator. A, a perpetrator. Yeah. I was going to ask that. I, I was going to ask if you're a perpetrator. So, I'm sure I am, but you probably <laughs> need to ask my family about that. Let's but, get Julian's wife on. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Lisa, uh, call in if you like. Exactly. She's, well, she's at work at the moment, but she might, she has, she will have many views. You probably <laughs> need to an hour, allow an hour for the segment, I'd say. But um, yeah, no, we, we did at one point lose a, uh, I lost my wedding ring. Um, 
And it was the second time I'd done that. Uh, I'm quite proud to say that I'm on my third wedding ring, but still my first wife. <laughs> I think that's quite an achievement. Well done, um, well done. But uh, Anna, I was like, have you seen daddy's um, wedding ring anywhere? And none of the kids knew. But then one day Anna said, oh, maybe it's in at childcare. And clearly what had happened is that she'd taken it in for show and tell uh, or something. Maybe not show and tell, but it never came back. So oh, I'm a victim. I'm you're, a victim you're of a petty victim. crime. I can hear that in your voice. Um, Clem, what about you? Oh, just the car thing. <laughs> Honestly, I feel that so strongly. I, I, when I, I bought a new car at the end of last year and I've never, never ever had a new car in my life. And so it was a big kind of, you know. The smell's pretty good, isn't it? It smelled so good and it was so clean <laughs> and tidy. And um, I put the, the child seat in there and I looked and I thought it's going to I'm going to work really hard at keeping this car looking nice and pristine. It is just the, the, the mm. most disgusting <laughs> bomb site. And even if it wasn't filled with all of my crap, which it is, it's just, you know, it's like the shape dust, like mm. the dust mm. from the shape yeah, biscuits right. yeah. that just kind of gets stuck into everything. It's every time that your kid's sitting in the back of the car and they've got a little snack and they just decide they're just going to throw it on the floor. Well, and they just eat. and it They just eat and there's like popcorn out of everywhere and it's just so gross. And I, I look at it and I feel so shamed every time. Every it's time I see it. It's not the shame that worries me. I feel fear, very real fear, because... There have been a few times I've found cockroaches in our car, oh, like yeah. live cockroaches, yeah, yeah. and I'm fairly certain that I'm the sort of woman who will have an accident if a live right. cockroach oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I think I feel things oh, like that. No. <laughs> no, I'm going to feel them. Never getting in my car again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, it's the food though, isn't it? I don't, it's the food. The junk. But do you know what happened for us with that? My, um, We only had one car and then my husband got a, a, a full-time job. He was freelance before that and we could share. And then we needed two cars. Yeah. Him having his own car meant that we weren't sharing that car and it was my car. Hmm. And when it became my car, it was all a lot cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sometimes you can trans- transfer issues onto the kids, which uh, you know, come from somewhere else. Do you know what I think one of my petty crimes, I mean, I'm a bit like, Julian in that, except for the car, obviously, <laughs> in that I try to like keep things neat and tidy and, you know, I'm that sort of terrible parent that follows the child around picking up the toys that they're <laughs> playing with them, you know, which I'm sure isn't like really great for their sense of, um, you know, freedom, freedom of play and, and expression. Um, but it's, it's looking, it's the food, you know, it's like looking at food on the ground and you get to that point where you're like... I'm just not going to pick that up. You know, mm. They might eat it later. Or, <laughs> so I'll go around and I'll pick up all the toys because I don't like the way that that looks. But I'm just so used to food being in everything now yeah. that I'm just like, Although you've, oh, well. you've now reminded me of what my petty crime is. Like, I'll see that food on the ground. I'll probably eat it. <laughs> I, I have no shame anymore. I'm like, well, that's only a half-chewed lasagna. Like, okay, fair enough. Yeah. It's only and, been there for 24 hours. That's right. And then you forget that, that that's a thing, that that's a crime that you can commit in the comfort of your own home. I have but to restrain myself do from doing it. it in restaurants. Yeah. I'm just like, that's not finished. I'll just have the rest of that schnitzel, thanks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a bit worried about you now, Julie. <laughs> How are you feeling today? Uh, look, I'm, I'm pretty hungry, actually. I'm just looking around <laughs> on the ground here to see if there's any. <laughs> this kind of goes back to that, you know, the useless products thing as well. Mm. That you know, uh, I, we very quickly got to the stage where instead of taking the baby to the nappy table and changing them on the nappy table, like we don't even have a nappy table now. I mean, he's too big for one, really, but we haven't had one for a long time because you're just like, oh, you need your nappy change. I'll just, I'll just lay you out in the living room. Yeah. Just lay you out in the couch, and I'll just do that. I'm so good at it now that it's not going to get anywhere. No, no of course <laughs> but not. But still, you yeah. know, you're just like. 
So that's it's kind of when people come over to your house, and you can do that when you're alone and in private. But when people come over and you're like, "Sorry, I'm just going to infest this room right, yeah. with the smell of poo." <laughs> Hope you don't mind. Yeah. It's a bit. I mean, Julian, I don't think you would have experienced that, but this one. But when I was breastfeeding my kids, I forgot, and I might have even done it when I was working with you way back then, <laughs> Julian. I forgot that it wasn't normal for women to go around just filling their boobs. Like, yeah, because just I mean, I said, which time, one yeah. do I have to do next? And then you'd be in the office with people who haven't breastfed children, and they're just looking at you strangely. And you're like, <laughs> no, no, I don't need a moment. It's okay. I'm breastfeeding. Yeah, and the, yeah there's lots of things that parenting reduces your um, inhibitions. Maybe Absolutely. I thought when um, one of my fears before I had when I was pregnant but before I gave birth, was that um, it was breastfeeding in public not because of the sense of it not being appropriate but because I, I had that sort of sense that, like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start breastfeeding and people are going to know that I'm an imposter. People are going to know I'm not – I sort of feel like a little girl playing, like right. when you're a little yeah, yeah, yeah. kid and you put oranges <laughs> down your top. And then, of course, as soon as he, as soon as he was born and you've, you've had, like, 50 people – see you literally be torn apart no problem anymore like you just whip that boob out (laughs) exactly right you're listening to the parent panel on kindling conversation i'm siobhan hunt my guests today are writer and author clementine ford and comedian and tv producer julian morrow next if there's a dad that's struggling how do we get him the right support tried to force Jianyu into opening up, which caused a sinkhole to open up. He has good mental health. I'm sorry, I'm not a mind reader. I just want you to know that you can open up to me. Why don't you want to talk about it? Why do you want to talk about it? It's not rocket science to know that a dad's mental health has an impact directly on their children. However, until recently, research was basically more about the mother's impact on the child, the mother's mental health. Catherine Wade from the University of Sydney and Julie Green from the University of Melbourne recently wrote that dads are less likely to know where they could turn for trust and advice if they were suffering from depression and anxiety. And to quote, they say, the fact many fathers are likely to be struggling with no clear view of where to get help should sound alarm bells. My question is, and I don't expect us to be able to solve this right here today, but when we're dealing with intimate relationships and we have a partner that we can see is struggling, but they can't see that they have a problem, how do we help them get the help they need? Very serious topic, Clementine. Sorry, I'll start with you though. Yeah, look, it is a really serious topic. I think that, you know, people are becoming more, more people are becoming aware that men can experience postnatal depression as well. But not enough people are aware of that. And I think it's, you know, it's it's a tricky one because there is a level of sort of disdain for the idea that a man could be going through that when obviously, you know, they haven't endured the physicality of birth. Um, they, they're not needed as primarily in those first few months by a baby that might be breastfeeding. But clearly, like, it's it's a, it's having a huge impact as well on their their role within the family, the responsibility and pressure that, you know, that the society, the society that we live in puts on men to be breadwinners and stuff, which is, of course, what feminism is trying to dismantle. Um, but I just think that in general, encouraging men to be more open about exploring their feelings and more open about seeking help for their feelings is something that is, you know, will benefit us all, whether or not it's in, it's in relation to child rearing or not. 
Julian, one of the things that I see, like just anecdotally with friends, when I'm talking to them and I'm like, wow, you know, your husband should really go and see someone. Mm. Um, but the husband is struggling to actually acknowledge that they may need help. I wonder whether that kind of um, reaching out and saying maybe you should get help needs to come from a friend instead of a intimate partner? I, I think that's probably true. Um, I, I mean, you'd like to think that those barriers are not as high as they were, but they used to be incredibly high. So, um, and, and I do think that um, maybe the timing of these sorts of issues might tend to be a bit later for men. Um, and, and I think there probably is a sensitivity as well about um, going into those sorts of things when everyone knows that the, you know, the impact of mothering early on is so great that you don't really want to sort of come home from work and say, oh, and I'm really feeling bad you as don't well. Want to you, be, know? you don't want to become another thing that that's the right. mother has exactly. to do. That's right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I think that, and I think that's why you're right, Siobhan, that, that um, finding other avenues and places outside, you, you know, your, your main relationship to um, start that conversation uh, is good. And I think also the reality is that with anything like this, there's never going to be one answer because different people are going to respond to different things. I was looking at that question, thinking about myself and thinking for me, probably I would love a podcast or some sort of audio thing that I would find. And I know that there's, uh, you know, I listened to the answer me this podcast um, and um, Ollie from Answer, Answer Me This has another podcast which is a, which has like a fathering theme and stuff like that. And I thought, oh, maybe that'd be somewhere where you'd find that sort of information. But that's because I like podcasts and they're the sorts of things I do. And I never really feel particularly um, drawn to the sort of prominent rugby league footballers do the anti-bullying campaign or, or anti-homophobia campaign. But that's just because I'm not into that. And, and, and but people who are really into rugby league, that's where they should get mm. that information. So I think you just, it's got to be one of those things where being sensitive to the sorts of places which won't be good is, is important. And then it really just needs to be as many courses f for the lots of horses that are out there. I think that one of the things that, you know, will benefit how men um, feel encouraged to seek help if they need it is actually if we start like shifting the focus on, on how fatherhood is framed in our society anyway. You know, it is it is great that like now way more so than, you know, 50 years ago that the role of fathers has changed and the role, the, the expectation that we have on men and how they father and the emotion emotional kind of range that they're able to bring to that has obviously grown. But I still don't think that enough men are talking to each other or forming communities with other fathers the way that, mums do after a child arrives. This is something that I observe in, um, you know, I'm in like tons of mums groups on Facebook. And something I'm constantly kind of coming across is women seeking help for their partners. You know, are there any men's groups out there? Are there any father's groups? Should we start a father's group for them? Which of course, no, we shouldn't. Like, why should that be our job to do that? Men need to become better at talking to each other and at seeking to build communities with one another in order to discuss issues like this. You know, I would love to see more men starting dads groups on Facebook and not just dads groups for sad dads, but groups where they can talk about like meeting each other for a play date, you know, where they can talk about like, how do they, how do they solve, how do they solve the issue of, you know, your parenting crimes in the home or something, all of the things that mums get together and, and talk about 
and that emotional labor that women do in order to try and like keep their their homes and their families healthy and safe. Um, I know that men want those things for their families, but I just don't know that they're very good at building those networks with each other. Are they, I mean, I, I don't know whether they're out there on Facebook, but uh, is there a distinct um, lack of them? I, I don't know. Maybe that maybe there are those groups. Maybe there are. Yeah. Maybe there are. Uh, I I I think that there are an, enough fewer. women though who are who are trying to like find where they are so that they can yeah do that that yeah. kind of like. And I suppose there are some. Find them, yeah. Yeah. Trying to find them on Kindling has been. Hard. Hard. Okay, it's that's been interesting. Harder to find. Yeah, it's yeah. been harder to find. There are definitely men and men who have websites about being a dad, um, but it is they are definitely in the minority towards sure. to the women who have similar platforms. And, and I think it's more likely that, uh, and I'm not saying, of course, that it would never happen, but I think it's more likely that the female partner of a man would try and find those places for him to join rather than the man coming out and saying to his networks of people, hey, look, I'm looking for a dad's group. Mm, I'm looking mm. for, or I'm looking to start one. Um, and I don't think that that's because men are bad, lazy people. I think it's just because the that work has traditionally not been done by them. But also, it may also be that, um, going back to where, where we started, that having your partner recommend those sorts of services yeah. to you could be the most self-defeating way yeah, exactly, of having it recommended exactly. to you. Because yeah. exactly. um, it, it just, you know, I suppose it's it's... Introducing another issue into it, an already fraught dynamic at a at a time of high pressure. Um, I suppose the other thing maybe is that um, maybe there are statistically maybe it's more likely that guys will f- go about that task slightly differently, and mm. maybe that's why it's not on Facebook. But whatever it is, you know that the more of it there is, the better. There's probably also, I mean, I think there is a, a, a bit of a cultural stigma just with the idea of a men's mm. group. Yes. Because of the early phases of what that's associated with. Um, so a bit of a rebrand probably wouldn't hurt Re-brand. Okay, well, we'll leave that one with you, Julian. <laughs> um, our last topic in just a moment. Has parenting changed you? This could be like a doorway to a whole new life where we have it all. We have fun and a baby. Fantastic. This is the moment. This is the moment. To go Let's do it. Okay. Let's go. Let's go. All right, come down. I recently caught up with friends of mine that I hadn't seen in 20 years, and we were all mates when we used to work together at Bridge Climb as a climb leader. I know you're impressed. It's part of my CV. I try to get out there as much as I can. Um, but it did make me think about how much parenting had changed me, because in, in that time, in that 20 years, we had all had children. Um, if I had to reflect on it, I'd, think I'm, I'd say I'm more confident in myself and the choices that I make, um, I'm definitely more of a homebody and less likely to go out at mm. after 9pm. That's pretty much when I want to get home. So I'm curious how cha- parenting has changed you, if at all, Julian? Well, I uh, was talking to a work colleague who was about to have their first uh, child recently. Um, and my reflection was that I, I think kids help parents to grow up. Uh, and I think that that really that's what parenthood changes in you. you. You may have a certain level of maturity associated with what you've been doing in your work life and those sorts of things, but there's nothing like the, the sort of the ringer of parenthood to really make you um, have to come to terms with what it's like to have to be the mature person and to deal with your own emotions in a way that doesn't, uh, that doesn't sort of impact on a, a very vulnerable young thing. And so I think that um, getting better at that in the traditional human way of 
by making mistakes, <laughs> um, by learning from mistakes rather than having some sort of bolt of lightning. I think that's probably the biggest uh, change. And yeah, I suppose it does. The, the other thing that I've noticed is, and this is, I think it impacts on your your, your thinking more. That I even just thinking about the the sort of um, dire tilt of politics in the world at the moment. Um, I find myself thinking, God, I actually think that maybe the world will not be a better place when my kids are grown up. And that's that's just such an alien thought for someone, for me, five, six years ago. So, and, and I'm sure that that has a knock-on impact in terms of the way you just approach all sorts of other issues. So... Um, I don't know if that's an answer, but that's, what, an that's answer. what occurred for the it's moment. A, it's a good answer. And Clem, how, how about you? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I I agree with Julian. I remember when um, my son was about oh, two days old, maybe not even quite two days old, and we'd brought him home from the hospital. And uh, I was in, you know, one of those horrible jags of cluster feeding, which you sort of, at the time, you're like, A, why did no one properly warn me about this? <laughs> But also, I will never forget this horror. And then, like, months later, you might be like, oh, God, remember cluster feeding? <laughs> um, anyway, so I was cluster feeding him and I was getting really frustrated, as you do, because it's just such a horrible, horrible kind of few hours to go through. And my partner walked in and he said, what's wrong? And I and I just kind of lost it. And I, and I said, you know, I'm just, I don't want to do this. I want someone to look after me. I want, I need a grown up. <laughs> and... <laughs> And he just looked at me and was like, well, you're the grown-up now. Mm. And that kind of really shifted things in my head where I, you know, you, that's probably been the biggest change for me as well, is realising that there is someone far more important than myself in my life. Um, and everything has to be, well, not everything has to be done for them, but everything that is in terms of survival so needs to be things. done in service, in service of him. You know, he's the greatest, he's my greatest love and... I have to look after him. And so that has forced me to grow up and assess what's important and what's not important. Um, and then there are other kind of more superficial things like, you know, I was thinking the other day how when I was in my 20s, I'd go out drinking with girlfriends and then we'd stay out really late and then one, we'd go back to one of our houses and just crash in each other's beds and wake up the next morning really hungover. And those days are gone, you know. I can't do that anymore because, of course, you have to be home at a certain time and you sort of almost don't really want to do it. But part of you does, you know. <laughs> it's knowing that you can't do it that made me feel really sad when I just thought, oh, those those heady, carefree days are over. Maybe when, you know, we're in our 50s, we'll be able to do it again, <laughs> but in a slightly different way. But, yeah, I think that, that sort of recognising that there are choices that need to be made every day that um, are in service to your little human and that you want them to be the right choices is like a, a very humbling experience. And ongoing too. I mean, and Julian, your kids are older, but what I'm learning as they get older is the lesson never ends. Yeah. It's like you yeah. don't ever graduate from parenting school because there's always going to be something that they're teaching you. And you also realise that your parents knew nothing, you know, <laughs> which is kind of also a weird, one of those weird shifts in your head where as a child, you think that your parents have it all together yeah. or... You know. I still think my parents know everything. <laughs> yeah, I said we're like realizing that they were just as lost as I am now. You know, yeah. that's something as well. Just just in this conversation that's occurred to me, and w we've been very lucky to have um, a full suite of exploitable grandparental labour. <laughs> um, but I think becoming a parent has really changed my perspective on my parents, mm. and and sort of made me realize because you know you think of your parents through 
your experience as a kid. And now I think I have a glimpse of what it might have been like f- for them. Um, and so I think it's given um, me a much deeper appreciation mm. of my parents, or at least it makes me more um, thankful to them when I drop the kids off and run away to whatever <laughs> thing I'm running late for, you know. Um, and I suppose, so I suppose it does, yeah, that, that sense of, uh, I, I'm talking about it in, in terms of family, but I suppose more broadly, it's just the huge value of support. Wherever you get support and, and dependability and reliability, people who you, you know, if something happens, you can drop your kids there. Um, I think that is something that you value hugely more because when you're young you probably you're the person who needs to be cared for not the person who needs to find the carer yeah Yeah, we don't have any um any grandparents in melbourne where we live and i want to rent mine out i want to start (laughs) i'd like to hire them send them over to me for a bit um yeah so you you have to find you know you have to it's another interesting aspect of that is is then the choice to create families who, who you rely on for support but it does make it a little bit harder because you don't have that sort of network where you can just kind of you know the the there's there's a farther space to travel Uh, yeah just a few things to think about and maybe the reason i think that is because i both my parents were uh are from sydney but um they had kids living in the mid north of england and so i now think about my Mm. mum having two kids i was my first birthday, she was in hospital having my brother. So two kids, 12 God. months apart, in the mid-north of England. In the 1970s, there were no phone. There were three channels of television. It was winter. It was snowed in. Like, I, I'm amazed that any of us are alive. Mm. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, this is, the, you know. We, they didn't have these, iPads back then. Did you know that? <laughs> all of the things that we have to not just seek, not just seek information on, like the, the internet provides us with so many options to like figure out how to parent but also so much distraction you know like those Mm. hours that you spend breastfeeding in the first few months and sitting there scrolling on your phone or speaking to other mums who are up doing the same thing or watching netflix or whatever yeah yeah my mum had three kids under i was born i'm the youngest and my sister was four when i was born so and my there's 18 months between me and my brother my dad was working overseas a lot Mm. so she was kind of stuck on a farm out in the middle of nowhere um, looking after three kids by herself with no family support because she was in Australia and she's not from Australia. I mean, it's just, it's Our incredible that she didn't, I think that she probably had undiagnosed PND, but you, they, you just had to sort of get on with it, didn't yeah. you? you know? Well, yay to our parents and the yeah. grandparents in our lives. Clementine, Julian, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Great pleasure. That was Clementine Ford, writer and author. Her latest book to be released at the end of this month is called Boys Will Be Boys and comedian and TV producer Julian Morrow. Now, Julian also moonlights as the host of different events and he will have a night discussing employment law and the gig economy in Sydney on September 12. We'll put all the links up on our website. That's kindling.com.au. You've been listening to The Parent Panel, a Kindling Kids radio podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to leave a review and share it with your friends. The Parent Panel, new episodes every Friday.